0: Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, sardana Osman, here with my friend Chavrutah Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Maasechet Moed Katan, daf Yud page 19. Well, I'm actually going to start on the previous daft We have a Mishnah there, and then another new Mishnah on our actual deaf of Yud Tet. And our Mishnah reads as follows: In kotvim ve'im ve'in O lo ma yochal So you cannot write bills of debt. Uh, meaning that somebody owes someone else money on cholomowate. But if the lender basically does not trust the borrower, right, he's concerned he's going kind to of lend somebody money, but he's concerned the borrower uh, will end up denying the loan or pretend it didn't happen. Or the scribe, right, has nothing to eat, then we're, we allow the writing of this bill of debt, of this shtar chov uh, on cholomowate. We also don't write Torah scrolls to fill in or mezuzot on um, chalamoid. And we do not correct a single letter even in the Torah scroll of Ezra. Now, there's a couple of commentators about what exactly is this scroll of Ezra. So the Torah scroll of Ezra which if you read in Sefer Ezra, as mentioned, uh, generally was kept in the second Beit and sort of was the prototype of all Sefer Torah, right? That is what was referred to. And so the idea is even the, you know, uh, the, the, the Torah scroll that we use to reference all other Torah scrolls, you're not even allowed to uh, you know, fix one letter, even though other Jewish communities would have to rely on it. There's another way of reading this mission, which is, is that it actually means Sefer Azarah, not Ezra, but meaning the Torah scroll that was kept in the Azara of the Beit Dash. and it's the same idea. It's also supposed to be the Torah scroll that sort of was used by all other uh, Jewish communities. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Rabbi Yehuda says that a person can write tefillin and mezuzot for himself, and he can spin the tachilet, right, which is the you know, blue fringe of the Tzitzit uh, on his thighs. So normally you would spin it with a spindle, uh, but you're allowed to spin it if you do a Shinoi, if you change how you do it. Uh, You know, interesting, uh, sort of a simple Mishnah that sort of we're leaving now the area of mourning uh, and going on to other uh, areas of of Cholomoed. And I could see how this could come up because one maybe would think, you know, you have some free time over Cholomoed, you're not doing your work, maybe this is a great time to write tefillin or mezuzah or Sefer Torah or things like that. Um, and uh, the Shtar Chov one makes sense to me, but this I could see why there might be some confusion. So the Gemara basically starts off by quoting a brysa here uh, that has three different opinions about making tefillin, mezuzahs, and on and chal-a-ma-aid. Um And it has three opinions, right? The first one is Rabbi Mayer, who says you can write tefillin and mezuzahs for your own use and spin seat. Uh, you know, on with the Shinoi, which is basically the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda and our Mishnah. And he can even do this job uh for others, but only if he does it for free. Then we have an opinion by Rabbi Yehuda who says that he can even get money for doing these jobs for others, right? As long as he's selling his own tefillin and mezuzahs and then writes more for himself. So in other words, he can take his own tefillin and mezuzahs, sell it, and then write more for himself. And then we have an opinion from Rabbi Yossi He says he can write as many tefillin and mezuzahs as he needs, to make a living. So I think we see a spectrum here that there is something different about uh, writing to fill in a mezuzos, right? It seems to be different than other types of work. Um, and particularly if your Parnassa, if your livelihood relies on it, it seems to have a little bit more dispensation, at least according to this Brysa, um, than. Um, than other, uh, than let's say other malachot or other activities, uh, that we've learned about here. Rav ultimately, or maybe Raba rules actually like Rav Yossi, that basically you can write as many as you want, as long as you needed uh, to, uh, to make your, to make your, uh, livelihood. So I think it's interesting to see how different, uh, types of work, you know, if they are sort of parnassa uh, meaningful, right? They're dependent on how you make a living. Uh, it seems that there seems to be a little bit more leniency when it comes to the parnassa of a scribe uh, than, let's say, some of the other uh, malachot that we've encountered or some of the other jobs that we've encountered.
1: I find it really interesting, <coughs> excuse me, still with the voice. Um, I find it really interesting that the question of and mezuzot, it come up on Cholamoid as even a question. Because I might have thought that Tashmishi Kedusha, that these things that are really the essence of holy objects, you know, could be done, you know, at this holy time. Um, I suppose it makes sense also if we're going to talk about Malacha and things like that. But it's, you know, I don't want to belabor the point. I just found it a little bit interesting and maybe not not intuitive or not quite intuitive. So I'm going to start with the next Mishnah, uh, which is on the bottom of Amar Aleph. So if you... The person who comes to bury the relative, you know, one for whom you would sit, Shiva, um, does so... <coughs> excuse me. Three days before the holiday, before regel meaning Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. Right? So then... Um Shiva, you don't have Shiva. It it truncates Shiva. You sit the number of days from the burial until the holiday, and then the holiday cuts it off, and you don't you don't have any more days of Shiva, let's say, to sit after the holiday. Shmonah, if you would bury somebody buries eight days prior to the holiday, so which means that you have enough days to sit Shiva which is seven, of course, then Then you don't have the Shloshim the period. It cancels it. We've talked about this before. I think, you know, your Dana, you talked about how this is manifest. The complications of holiday can be manifest in different ways. Um, for example, here we see where Shiva is truncated or Shloshim is truncated. There are other times where you would end up like not having any of the morning practices until after the Chag, especially if somebody died, God forbid, over Yantif. Okay. So then the Gemara wants to know exactly how does this work. So the principle is as follows. Shabbat counts as a day of mourning. I mean, you don't mourn on Shabbat, but it counts as one of the days. It doesn't like interrupt the the mourning period. It doesn't truncate the mourning period. Um, You know, you just pause in the practices of mourning. And then regalim, they do interrupt the whole morning period, whether it's shiva or whether it's shloshim, whatever. So that if you began the morning before the holiday, then the holiday itself cancels the rest of the morning period. And they don't count, meaning they don't go into the count of seven or the count of thirty. Rebbe Lezah Omer, Mishacharav so Rabbi Lazar says that since the time that the Beit Hamikdash was destroyed, Atzeret, which is the Talmud's way of describing Shavuot, it's the name for Shavuot, is like Shabbat. Why? Meaning Shavuot is really just—it's a brief time, right? So at the time that the Beta HaMikdash stood, then there were all kinds of sacrifices that would be offered, like Shavuot sacrifices that were really um, going to be brought, let's say, in the week following or in the six days following the Chag. But nowadays we don't have those festivals. Um, we don't have those offerings. We don't have those Korbanot. So Shavuot El is, you know, it's two days in Chutzlar, It's in the Diaspora and one day in the land of Israel. So according to Reb Lezer, it doesn't, it counts as a day of mourning, it does not interrupt the day of mourning, the period of mourning, the same way Shabbat works. But it's not so simple like that. I don't think we pass in that way, and we here we've got Rabban Gamliel's position, which makes it clear that it's not so simple. Rabban Gamliel, Omer, it's a fairly long Mishnah. Rosh Shana Vyomakipurim kireg halim. So Rabban Gamliel says that Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, which are short, right? That's the point here. They're short, but they function like the regalim, meaning they truncate the the morning period. The, the bottom line is we don't we don't take this approach or the other approach. Meaning neither approach. Ella The opposite. We say shavuot is like pesach and sukkot, and we say that Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is like shabbat, where they function, they count within the time of the morning, and they don't truncate it. Okay. Gemara goes on here to talk about you know really the the variety of counting here that could matter what gets- what gets cancelled when um depending on how the decree is nullified right meaning the decree of and and it's talked about here as um the Gezera, the decree of the morning itself, so is it the days is it the whole period the entirety of it is it simply the practices um and then the Gemara asks, what about the days that are not canceled? For example, the Gemara says, so for example, you have eight days of mourning before you have Shiva, right? I mean, you have Shiva plus one of Shloshim. And now, for example, you're not going to be cutting your hair on Erev Chag because you're not allowed to cut your hair because you're mourning. But now you can't cut your hair after the Chag either until after the end of the 30 days of the... Shloshim. So maybe you still have this kind of residual effect of the mourning period. But then it seems to be that where the concern is, you know, to what extent are you going to um, observe those practices, those mourning practices during the Chag? Meaning you can't cut your hair on Cholmite either. We had this whole long discussion of who the, the few people were exceptions to that rule. So the Gemara goes on and cites a So again, exactly what we've just said. We have the same information about somebody who buries his dead three days before the holiday and Shiva is cancelled or eight days and Shloshim and, um, is cancelled. And then it goes on to say, and this is the key part. So he says, You could cut your hair. The, the practice says you can cut your hair on Erev Chag at this time when the mourning is canceled. And then if you didn't do that, then you can't cut your hair until after the end of Shloshim. So it ends up, you know, according to this, and, and it really goes on to delve into both the halachot and these min, minhag, the the customs, these practices of mourning, to say when can you do it, when can you not. Um, I want to be clear that everything I've just said here is not really about psach. It's not about halacha right? The Gemara treats, you know, the upcoming, the rest of the daf. it does talk about the halacha pertaining to the mourner, but, you know, we don't bask in front of the pages of the Gemara, and there's a good reason for that, in part because, you know, it's not necessarily resolved here, but also a good deal of the next stuff, and it's long, meaning the next amud, rather, it's long, is really about exactly how to implement these practices between Shiva and Shloshim. Um, and so, if anybody, al is ever in the situation, you know, then you need to check into whatever the the basic practices that we do nowadays, which are sometimes a little bit different from the pages of the Gemara. I don't want to belabor that point either. Um. Okay, we're gonna stop here. That's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you so much for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think about this DAF, the practices of mourning. Um. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the 100 website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.